0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to A Step Further. This is our weekly podcast from Kingsway Christian Church, where we take what we talked about on Sunday just one step further. My name is Matt Nickerson, and I am the host for today's podcast, and it's a joy and a pleasure for, to be here with you today doing this. So, Sunday, we talked about this idea of worship fully, that at Christmas, it's so easy to get lost in the Christmas hubbub. In fact, today, before this podcast, I went to lunch, and it took me over an hour to get from the church in Avon to Chick-fil-A in Avon and back. That's a trip that normally I can make in roughly 20 to 22 minutes. And so, holiday traffic is full-blown. Everybody is shopping and going and buying and running around like crazy here just four or five days before Christmas. And uh, I am kind of ready for it to be over. But more important than ready for it to be over, I need to remind myself, what is this season really all about? Since I was a little boy, there was a phrase out there that said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And it's definitely true. And if you are a Christian listening to this, you've probably heard that before too. But I don't want the flippancy of that to be lost on us. This past Sunday, we talked about worshiping fully. And what does it mean to worship fully? Maybe the better way to ask this question is, um, what would make you actually stop what you're doing and stand in awe of God and worship him fully? I don't know if you know this, but Sunday, we looked at a text in Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph has just found out that his fiance, his actually his betrothed. It's not quite the same. Basically, they are married without the actual wedding day having occurred. And he's found out that his wife is pregnant. Well, Joseph realizes that uh, there's certain things that have to happen for her to be pregnant. And uh, so therefore, she must have been unfaithful. But because he was a good man, a righteous man, he decided he would divorce her quietly. He wasn't going to shame her publicly. He wasn't going to disgrace her. He was just going to quietly divorce her now again in our culture in order for you to divorce you have to be married but in that culture a betrothal or an engagement was really the same thing it was a commitment just the day hadn't occurred yet so joseph his heart is broken he's just assuming then mary's been unfaithful and uh, he's going to move on i guess in life except an angel comes to him and says hey joseph it's okay it's all right this is all in matthew chapter one it's all right god has placed a baby in there And you're going to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, what's interesting, and this is where I want to go today with our remaining time. If you were to read the verses before that, I believe there's like 14 or 16 verses before that, it's perhaps one of the most boring sections of the Bible, unless you get some of the little nuggets of truth that are hidden in Matthew chapter 1 that actually lead you to the end of Matthew chapter 1. So you get, if you have a King James Version, you get something like so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. I don't even remember those texts in the Old Testament. And you're, basically what you're getting is a genealogy. It's a really big deal to the Hebrew people to have a genealogy, to be able to um, talk about where each person came from and to connect those back to certain extremely important biblical figures, figures like Adam or Abraham or Moses or David or whoever they're trying to connect the dot to. Well, Matthew begins his book with one of those genealogy lists, and he takes you back through three successive 14 generation counts. So he goes all the way from Abraham to David, and then he goes again from David all the way to, I don't remember who, and then all the way back to Jesus. And what's really interesting about that is, first of all, if you were to actually track those accounts, they're almost exactly spot on, but he counts David twice in one of the lists. He ends the first list with David, and he begins the second list with David, which means, well, unless you're counting David twice, that means one of them only has 13. And in another situation, he actually leaves one of the kings out, and it's possible he left them out because he was a puppet king appointed by Egypt and not considered respected by the Hebrew scholars or by Matthew as a rightful king over Israel. Maybe. We don't really know all the reasons why David created the list the way he did, but if you were just to take the number 14, this is fascinating, and you were to multiply it by what is generically considered a generation, that number is around 35 throughout Hebrew history. Uh, Some say 40, but if you do 35, it's interesting because you come up with uh, 490, Now, the reason that's interesting, and and this may be boring for you today if you're not into this kind of thing, but 490 is a really important biblical number. Why is that? Well, you may remember at one point... um Peter is talking to Jesus and Jesus is talking about just the hardships of life and divorce and marriage and all kinds of things like that. And Peter asks him this question. He's like, well, how many times should we forgive somebody? And, and he says, what about seven times? And Jesus says, not seven times. I tell you 70 times, seven times. What's 70 times seven again? I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, it was 490. And if you were to go back to the Old Testament to the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel is one day praying and fasting and he's seeking the Lord's face. And an angel shows up and uh, the angel says, oh, you know, highly esteemed one, uh, God's been hearing your prayers. And um, then he gives him a prophecy and he says, they're going to be uh, seven sevens and 62 sevens and one more seven decreed for you and your people. And you're like, what is all of this math? I don't understand math. There's no math in Bible college. I joke all the time. Well, if you were to add all these sevens up, you end up with 70 sevens. And it's called the 70 Weeks Prophecy, and it's it's highly debated and highly discussed among scholars about exactly what it means, what it points to, but very few people uh, doubt at all whether it pointed to Jesus. But again, 70 times 7 is 490 years, and you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I don't know, what is the relevance of all of this stuff? Well, Matthew is beginning in chapter 1, absolutely trying to help you connect a number of dots, Some of the dots he's trying to connect is he's showing you emphatically that Jesus came from the line of David. That's why David is listed twice in two of the separate 14 lists. He's trying to connect Jesus back to Abraham and the opening promises that God gave to Abraham that one day through you, all nations will be blessed. In chapter two, he kicks off with these magi coming from afar to show you that this school that Daniel launched in ancient Babylon that would train these wise men year after year after year to look at the stars that one day those stars would point to the fact that a king was born. Matthew is connecting so many dots for you and he's leveraging the number 490 and then the name of Jesus that Jesus saves his people from their sins so that you would know that when this Jesus arrives prophecy after prophecy Star after star, point after point is coming fulfilled in this man in this moment right here. It's the prophecies told to Daniel, it's the prophecies told to Abraham, it's the prophecies told to David. What is fascinating is the prophecies about Jesus are what sets him apart from every other religious figure in the world. You know, if you were to take, there are hundreds, people disagree about exactly how many prophecies have yet come true in Jesus. It's fine. Um, 100 is the minimum safe number. Some say as high as 300 plus. But if you were just two, and a mathematician did this, take seven of those prophecies that came true about Jesus, where he would be born, what would happen when he was born, how would he die? By the way, the, the Jewish people, when they killed people, they threw stones at them until they died. The Romans crucified people. So in order for the Hebrew, Jewish scriptures to come true about Jesus. That meant somebody else was going to have to crucify their Messiah. And so these prophecies, if you were just take seven of them and all seven, seven of those were to come true, the odds of that actually happening, one mathematician said, it would be like taking the entire state of Texas, filling it three feet deep with quarters, And then taking one quarter and marking it red, dropping it randomly somewhere in the state of Texas, then taking somebody from Dallas, blindfolding them, and saying, now wander around Texas, pick one quarter out of the entire state, and if it were the red one, that would be the odds of Jesus' prophecies coming true. Just seven of them. I want you to think about that. What would it take for you to worship God fully? Would it be fulfilled prophecies? Or would it just be his name itself? The fact that he saves us from our sins. 77s. How many times should we forgive, Father? Seven? 70? No. 70 times seven. Forgive them completely.